what's going on? Welcome back to the Midnight Terrorist Podcast. I'm your host this evening, Kevin, here with something really exciting. You all have seen the latest film from Blumhouse Studios, Night Swim. It's out now available for rental as well. And we've got a really special guest here this evening, the writer and director of Night Swim, Bryce McGuire. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kevin. It is great to be here. Um, been trying to make this happen for a minute here, so I'm glad we could finally get the uh, the stars aligned. Excited to talk. Absolutely, and we are excited to have you. Congratulations, first and foremost, on the release of Night Swim. How are you feeling with all of the all the success and all the the great response that it's gotten? Well, you know, it's not all great response, as the internet will know. <laughs> you know what? That's that's a part of putting uh, a movie out in the world in a wide release way. You have to totally let go and say, you know, I I made the movie I wanted to make and where I didn't make the movie I wanted to make, I know where and why that happened. And I made the best version of this movie I could make within the the parameters that I was that I was given. And it's a really good exercise in both it's kind of a Zen exercise. It's an exercise in humility, knowing that like some people just like not gonna like what you did. Anytime you create something, it's it, it it's just it's easy to be behind the keyboard saying like this is trash. It's a lot harder to actually make the thing, but that's okay because everyone has the right to respond as they want to. And and uh, yeah, you just almost have to have this this zen, like I let go of control, learn the lessons you're supposed to learn, right? And and stand by the movie. And it's also it's found such a cool life and in a cool audience. And it's obviously done done good business. A lot of people have seen it. It's done well over the world. So so much to be grateful for. But also, yeah, there's an element of like. You have to just kind of like let that out of your hands, let it drift into the river and trust that it's going to find the people it's meant to find. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, again, you said it, you said it best. As long as you created what you wanted to create after that, it's like you made yourself happy and then it's out into yeah. the world. But you also made, you know, I'm seeing the reactions online and there's a ton of people sharing out how much they love it, including myself. This is uh, already a favorite release of mine. So I'm happy to get to talk to you about it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And it definitely is. I, it's been cool to have the people that I feel like really saw the movie. I tried to make not the movie that they maybe expected from it, but like, oh, like I see what you were doing here. And and that is, it's so cool when you get to meet those people that you feel like you shared this thing and it's, uh, and that's a very special thing. So excited to be talking with you about it. And yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we always start our interviews and our new guests the exact same way with the golden uh, two-part question. Yeah. Uh, so we always want to know from our guests, how did you get into horror? And as my uh, co-host Jason would say, what movies fucked you up? Yeah, <laughs> everyone's got their own version of that, right? Um, right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's think. So what's the first one? Which one should I start with? Uh, let's start with how'd you get into horror? What was your journey like getting into the genre? Yeah, let's talk about that. So I always enjoyed, I always have been a little bit mischievous. And I feel like that's actually a common theme in in, uh, in people that find themselves in these jobs. Is like, I liked taking people for a ride. Or like, for instance, I, I came from a big family. So there's five kids in my family. I remember when I was young, like taking my younger siblings, like out into the walk into the woods and then telling the story about, you know, this guy that was like out there and he got lost and he had to like saw off his hands and this and that. He slept. And basically like while I'm telling the story, I'd be like intentionally getting lost 
I knew I would know where we were, but I'd be <laughs> pretending that I couldn't find my way back. And then if kids are panicking and, and I, I, I that's kind of sadistic, but I, I always just kind of enjoyed getting the, the reaction um, and then bringing them back safely to, to shore. And, and so I think there was always just something there where I just kind of responded to things that were like growing up, I was reading a lot of like uh, Ray Bradbury, Stephen King, you know, even Edgar Allan Poe, like older stuff. My mom was kind of like a really like literary, like taught English and my dad's a librarian. So I was raised on a lot of uh, kind of like older, like Daphne du Maurier, who wrote The Birds, which was the Hitchcock, inspired the Hitchcock movie. Um, so I feel like I read a lot of horror literature actually early on, even before I was really watching stuff. Some people have the story of like, I was watching like sleepover camp at age four. And like <laughs> that, was, that was actually not me. I was more like telling scary stories around the campfire. And also I was definitely like watching twilight zone, like crazy. Like I remember as a kid, like watching like the talking Tina episode. <laughs> it's like totally messing me up. So it just freaked me out. All my sister's dolls in the room, just like their eyes following me as I walked past. Um, so I feel like I actually didn't, honestly didn't find some of like the like classic John Carpenter stuff slasher films and Wes Craven all that stuff until a little bit later it was probably more like end of high school even I think some people were just like raised on that stuff and I think for me it was like even like I remember reading this crazy book that was like a book full of like world world myths and legends and having this Native American myth called uh the cry of the night which is basically this creature that would like imitate a child's call like crying out for help to lure you in and that's like freaked me out so much as a kid and I yeah then later it was finding Jaws and it was finding you know Halloween John Carpenter stuff it was it was finding in some weirdest stuff Mouth of Madness and and, and some of that Cronenberg <laughs> like, stuff I was really and David Lynch I got really into Lynch's stuff and Cronenberg in in college um Videodrome and Mulholland Drive and that stuff like really uh, Blue Velvet like stuff really influenced me just the uh, honestly weirdly even a Night Swim you see this kind of like um, the dark side of Americana or the dark mm -hmm. side of Suburbia like the scene of like finding the ear in in Blue Velvet or just like the evil that sits beneath the surface of the Norman Rockwell's America the white picket fence and the fire trucks passing like Night Swim actually has a little bit of that quality to it Stephen King obviously subverts the american dream and a lot of his stuff and i think all of those things kind of just seeped into my consciousness that's a that's a long scattered <laughs> answer but i think that that's really was finding way to horror was all those influences and and then i went to afi and studied screenwriting at the american film institute and you know it's funny like during AFI, I feel like I was writing stuff that was a little bit more like dramatic, a little bit more like arty, more character stuff. And I've always loved character studies. I love dramas. I love all genres. But then I remember like getting out of school and kind of being like, okay, but what are you actually going to make? That's that's great. That's a great way to like hone your skills and to get better as a writer and to be a good student of like human psychology, right? But then I'm like, push comes to shove. I'm going to try and have a career and, and make movies for a living what do I actually want to be making? And that was the moment I was like, I'm going to go and shoot something in one night in my apartment for basically the cost of pizza and hard drives, <laughs> a crew of two friends that are actors, the producer running sound 
the DP, one person, and me. So like three people in the crew, two people in the cast. Um, and I played the creature, by the way. It's a short film ah. called The Whistler. I made it in 2013. You can find it online. It's on YouTube. Just search the the Whistler short film. Um, that was the first thing I really did dabbling in like a true genre experiment. And it, it ended up turning out for looking back now, that's over 10 years old. I'm like, that's actually turned out really well. Like I'm very proud of that short. Um, and it did well online. It kind of like went viral and blew up in Mexico and, and basically got me like an, uh, an agent. So I kind of think part of it's you're like, where are you seeing the momentum open up for you? Right. And two things happened. Number one, I, I loved making that short film. It was so fun for me. I love getting to actually like flex that genre muscle that I had kind of love those movies, but haven't got a chance to do that genre yet. So fun to make. And it did well. And it like pushed my career forward. I was like, okay, well that's a no brainer. So I, I know what I need to be doing next. Like that was, that checked all the boxes for me. And, and then basically kept making, making short film. And the next one was Night Swim. It took a long time for Night Swim to actually get made, but made two other ones after that, that were all genre shorts. So that was kind of from grad school, dipping my toes in those water and then to kind of the current, to use the water metaphor, the current just kind of carried me to, <laughs> to where we are now. Yeah. Perfect. You know, it's actually, that's something we haven't touched on a whole lot on the show, but that's so true that horror has, like, we haven't touched on that urban legend side of things so much, which I feel like is a, an early stepping stone for horror for everybody. Like you grew up hearing spooky yes. stories from family members or siblings or seeing it like just hearing about it when you go to camp or something like that so far before the the movies there's that primal fear of like oh there's like really unexplained things out there like i grew up watching unsolved mysteries and that was one of my yeah. favorite shows for sure um and i'm actually now that you're talking about that and that being an influence of yours i'm actually connecting the dots with night swim that I'm like, oh yeah, there is a lot of that element in the in the film. Big time. I mean, even just like, think about whether you had a pool growing up or you had friends who had pools. You always had these stories like, you know, someone who got their hair caught in the drain and got held down at the bottom of the pool and drowned, right? Or even like the don't swim, uh, you know, be 10 minutes after eating because people like drown or they get, you get a cramp and you seize up. There's, I feel like there's just all these kind of like, stories that were meant to be kind of like cautionary tales to keep kids safe because the pool actually is dangerous mm -hmm. right so you'd have, you'd have to have these kind of urban legends that would be like meant to kind of be like bumper rails to to protect us but i definitely remember uh yeah the campfire culture that that was i love that i mean i was always trying to find the spookiest story i remember like you know, a version of that story um, that's a, a it's a goosebumps story, but it's it's an urban legend before that, which is like the parents that um, they leave the girl alone without a babysitter for the first time and the dog under the bed. Oh, yes. That yep. story still freaks me out and gets under my skin so much. I was a kid that like that like haunted me. I was like I had a dog growing up. I just the I because it, it's it's the it's the violation of trust. Mm -hmm. It's something that's supposed to be like man's best friend and to be there like helping you and to be comforting you were, were to not actually be that thing that's your friend, but to be something evil, taking advantage of that trust of a child. It honestly still is, it freaks me out. Mm -hmm. It's a great, yeah, it's a great story. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think that one was like later titled people can lick two or something people like can that. Lick two, exactly. Yeah. It, it, our, our audience here will certainly yeah. horror fans will know that story as deep core memories. I'm sure. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's such a gnarly <laughs> one. And, you know, you touched on, you know, some of the directors like John Carpenter, um, Wes Craven and things like that. Were there certain films that you saw that drew you to, okay, the stories I want to tell are best suited for the horror genre and that scare factor needs to be there? Were there certain ones that just sat with you to the point that that was where you wanted to take your your filmmaking? Yeah, like, you know, an early one I also remember was... um, the original Universal Universal Monster Pictures from like the 30s and 40s and 50s, and uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. You you probably won't be surprised to hear was is <laughs> one of my one of my favorites. I, I have a Creature from the Black Lagoon tattoo on my on my arm. Uh, I, I won't shed the layers to show you, but <laughs> there. Uh, and I think something it was interesting. Like that one actually got to me on this kind of. It almost has that kind of Beauty and the Beast mythos this kind of tragic Mm -hmm. story about it like he's not he's like a cursed creature that it can can never receive the love of this woman that he kind of has fallen for and i'm like yeah man like you you could tell a really sad tragedy about unrequited love as a drama but it can always end up feeling too in your face and too like saccharine or too on the nose but like we love the creature from the black lagoon because yes, it's scary. And this idea of something below the surface, you know, rushing the bottom of your foot, something watching you, it's the same primal feeling of like jaws, right. That kind of that POV of something in the depths watching you. Like I connected on that kind of primal scare level, but also was like, I think the staying power of creature from the black lagoon is really also this kind of tragic love story. And like, you know, you see Guillermo del Toro, exploit that and tap into that in a uh, shape of water like that was what he fixated on too and i guess i'm only mentioning that because i think that's a good example of how horror is actually a great vehicle uh for all types of stories right you know oftentimes i'm telling uh family stories you know i i have a uh, project with uh, vera farmiga attached to star called bad bloom and it's kind of like this horror fairy tale about a family that's living on an island off the coast of Florida in like a an abandoned nature preserve that no one's supposed to be out there, but they're like living in hiding, like Robinson Crusoe style. They're like living off the land, they're catching water, they're doing like a solar power power grid, they're you know growing their own plants in this greenhouse, and they live this kind of almost quiet place like like existence where there's something on this island that stalks and hunts and haunts them. And they have to do all these procedures and rituals and precautions to protect themselves from this monster that roams the island. And the family has to stay together to keep themselves safe from the evil on the outside. And then about toward the beginning of the movie, this kid gets a uh, like marine radio working that was in an old boat. And it gets a signal to like the mainland and basically gets this bit of communication that kind of lets him think that wait, this reality we're living is not seeming to line up with the reality that exists on the outside world. And is my mom like lying to us, deceiving us? Did she create this whole ornate snow globe of a reality for us to keep us scared and keep us here like dog tooth? And then so he starts pulling at the thread of the sweater and I, I won't pitch the whole movie, but that movie is really about kind of like 
family secrets. And what do we hide from ourselves to keep the illusion of our happiness? Wow. Right. And so there's this really, there's this other, like I wanted to talk about kind of in some ways my own upbringing, but I'm like, I don't want to hurt anyone or I don't want to expose that so much that it feels like it's just like a journal entry. Like mm-hmm. and this kind of this fairy tale instead, this, this, this monster, it's a creature feature, you know? Um, and that's the power of genre, right? It lets everyone can, a, a fairy tale is universal. Fairy tales have been told since the, really since stories were being told, period. Um, since the Bible, since these ancient texts. And so I, I just love the power of, the power of myth and the power of monsters to kind of get at something really human. Absolutely. You, uh, you also said two magic words there that is like the perfect combo. Uh, Vera Farmiga is one of mine yeah. and my co-host Jules, like all time yeah. favorite actresses. So combine your directing with her acting. We are there <laughs> opening day. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so we cannot wait. Um, and I mean, that that kind of what you were just talking about there, like with your upbringing kind of segues perfectly into uh, Night Swim, because I had read online that you grew up in Florida. Is that right? That's right. And you, and you kind of were always surrounded by water and that sort of yep. contributed to the concept of Night Swim. But what really was the how did the process shape out for creating like the concept for Night Swim and what made you want to focus on? on the water as the subject yeah i mean it was definitely jaws you know and it was it was just the feeling that jaws gave me every time i got near the ocean not even in the water at the ocean like near the water at the ocean just it just such a gripping primal just like fear that like never left me and i i surf and i fish so i spend a lot of time in the water but it, it really did like kind of break my brain after seeing that movie. I saw the movie pretty young, actually, probably 10 years old. And so I remember being in the pool at night as a kid and in your childlike imagination. And so many people have felt, I know this is universal because I've seen the memes, <laughs> but this this feeling like, I know there's a shark down there. I know there can't be a shark down there, but I know there is a shark down there. And it's just coming up toward my legs and right, three, two, one. It just, we've all felt that. <laughs> And yep. so it was just kind of trying to tap into that feeling as like, could you make someone feel like that as an adult? We've all had these universal memories in the pool. How do we kind of make the pool the haunted house, you know, and, and use some of those conventions, but flip them into this location that we haven't seen explored. So uh, in such a focused way, you know, that was really, I mean, it's tricky because, you know, people who don't like the movie are like, you know, just get, just leave the pool, just get out of there. And, and and we had to find ways to kind of get around that. The big, the big thing for me was like, yeah, just leave the pool except for it's literally giving the dad the thing that he absolutely desires most in the entire world. And as a parent, he has so much control over what happens to a family. A kid can't just leave the house on their own. Right. It's like a parent has the control and, in water, you know, we lose control, right? We we can only swim for so long. We can only hold our breath for so long. And I just love the idea that even in a a small space, a small domesticated, it's like the tiger on the leash in the backyard. It's like, yeah, like you put it in a cage, but that's still a fucking tiger. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get hungry and it's going to eat. Nature is nature. We don't belong in the water. 
We've all been out of the water for a reason and we do not belong there anymore. And it is dangerous to us, whether it's in a, uh, a two foot deep bathtub or a 40 foot long pool. And, and so I think just tapping into that kind of primal relationship with water um, was really fun and exciting for me. And then also just the way that like, you know, I kind of grew up uh, in the kind of Christian faith. And so water has a huge metaphorical value, the baptismal imagery, people getting dunked in the water and healed. And, and then all these, I was kind of researching, like all these cultures all over the world, basically have built civilization around water and they worship water. They sacrifice things to water. They pray to water, you, the wishing well concept, right? You throw a coin in the water and you, you know, it grants your wish. I'm just like, okay, there's something, there's this Faustian transaction that we kind of want from the water. The water blesses our crops. The water carries us to new lands. The water refreshes us and also it kills us. And so the duality of water, I really wanted to explore in the, in your own backyard, you know? Yeah. It's like thinking about, you know, ancient Mesopotamia and how they, you know, they settled on the, on the water and that was the basis for yeah. the way they lived. Um, I, yeah, I think that's such a great concept because there's so much people talk about it all the time. Like we know more about the like the space above us than we do about what's on the depths of the ocean. Yep, exactly. Um, so I think I think there's a lot to play with there in terms of what we don't know. And, yep. you know, so you talked about how, you know, Night Swim was a short and then it took, you know, a few years to to get made into a feature were were there any major differences or challenges for you when it came to actually writing and directing and expanding the story into a feature film versus when you did the short? Yeah, lots because it, the short, there's no story in the short. It's just uh, a location and kind of an atmosphere and kind of a uh, the, the concept you're proving is just that the pool can be scary, basically, that it can be suspenseful. Um, and, and, and just I wanted to ex kind of explore the way that the water plays tricks on you like looking up to the water, like you don't quite know what you're seeing and something's just standing there. Like, I just knew that image was going to be really, I just, we've, we've all had that feeling, right? It's just like, can't quite make out what's there. And it's that fear of the unknown and just the way that, yeah, it warps your perception. And how could we use that where it, it it's intentionally playing tricks on you? You see something floating there that's not there. It, you know, it, all those things were so fun. But I think really it was, it was the difference that took some time, the thing that the element that took time was what the pool could give you because i think at the beginning it's like eh, it's like it's just a pool that's killing people like honestly maybe people would like that movie more maybe i should have just done death pool and just killed 19 people just want i don't know what do i know but for me that's not really what i wanted to do for me i wanted to tell this kind of this this like contemporary fairy tale about someone who's getting their wish granted and but at a horrible cost and the fear comes from that that, that i think when like that clicked in i was like okay now that's not just uh what's that waterbed death deathbed uh isn't there a waterbed movie i think there is called deathbed and i, <laughs> I think so. of, like i could make the deathbed version and again maybe some people would have been happier with that version but for me it's just not what i wanted to do people i think people fault the movie for being too not being campy enough and it's like yeah, fair, but it's also it's the stakes to those characters are serious. If it's if you're dealing with a chronic illness, 
then that is a that's about identity and it's about your livelihood and all those things. So I think it was always fun for me to like what should be kind of a campy horror movie. At least we tried to kind of have this almost M. Night Shyamalan kind of Jordan Peele approach to it where like it feels a little more a little more elevated. Um, now, whether that worked to you or not, you know, I'll let the I'll let the the YouTube comments didn't decide for yourself. <laughs> I, I I let go of all that, but at least I will say like that was the attempt. Was like we could have definitely done the the deathbed version, the just killer pool, and you know, there's the part I the, the I do love the parts that do like Marco Polo is like such a that's such an urban legend mm-hmm. type, story. and I love that. Like I like I had so much fun doing that, but I just wanted all of those like set pieces to be built on this kind of human story. It was only once I found the the you know, human story that I, and it was with a friend that was going I, I, a friend of mine Dan Myers who was an, an editor on Night Swim the feature. Um, he, he, he got MS, my, my buddy got MS. And I think when I was, when that happened and I was seeing him battling that and trying to hold on to like his job, like his career, this like dream that he'd been pursuing, I was like, that that is so human and it's so heartbreaking, but also like admirable, but you, you, you couldn't, can't root against someone that's trying to hold on to this thing that they it's under it's it's understandable at the very least. So I think that was just like things in my life had to kind of happen to to reveal the path forward. And then once it did, I it, it the rest became kind of easy in a way um, once I had that element. Absolutely. And you know the thing is that when you look at you know campy fun horror movies, they're great. You know we all have those those favorite I love those. types yeah. of films. You know they're just they're fun. But for me personally, and you, this is a perfect segue into this. What I really enjoyed about the movie was the family dynamics and what i what i compare it to is uh or liken it to i guess is another favorite director of mine uh mr mike flanagan with what he does i I just so i love mike flanagan so much yes he i mean you look at something like haunting of hill house or bly manor midnight mass or dr sleep what connects me to his stories is exactly what what connected me to yours was those characters because I feel like it, you can do elevated horror by mixing it with family drama because when you see people going through real stuff, like what the dad goes through in night swim, it makes it feel scarier because you're like, I could be that person because he's got real, he's a real life character. Yeah. Well, dude, that's the best, the biggest compliment you could, you, you could pay me because I, I'm such a devotee of, of Flanagan and, you know, hope hope to be working with them on there's there's actually a, a project that's kind of we'll, we'll see what happens but um, i love those people over there at intrepid and, and mike's such a great writer and such a great storyteller and filmmaker yeah haunting of hill the first season of haunting of hill house like just wrecked me i mean i th- that, that was such a strange thing where like like my dad like called me out of the blue to talk about that show i didn't even know he was watching the show but he as a as like a parent he was people have not seen that show that giving spoilers it really is about like what a parent is willing to do to protect their children from the evil and the pain that we are bound to face as humans uh navigating this this world and just going and growing up and like we're gonna be broke we're gonna be get broken you know Mm -hmm. it's gonna hurt us and harm us and break us and just i'm now a parent myself but my dad like called me like almost like crying and just almost wanted to be like seen in that show and almost to be like whatever mistakes I made, 
I just want you to understand that like I made them trying to doing my best to like protect you and love you. I'm just like, it's like how, 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 how beautiful and, and, and devastating that like that show just evoked that kind of human response in people. And that's like, not every not everyone's going to, that's not going to be that everyone type of horror, but it's certainly mine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I, so I really appreciate you seeing, seeing that in Night Swim. Absolutely. And I think what I took away from the story here, like my interpretation of what you were going through with Night Swim and the story that's being told with this family is that we're because you flushed out all the characters so well that it's like when you see a family member going through something, in this case, it's the dad, you see him going through an illness that's taking everything from him. You almost get to see the perspective of what every member of a family like what role they play when they see another family member going through something. You see the kid's point of view, the wife's point of view, um, the youngest kid's point of view. And I think that's something anybody can relate to because we've all been there. Yeah, no, totally. Because they each have different, you know, you have you have the wife, Eve, who has really had to play such a supportive role, holding everything together with this kind of quiet type of strength. But then you basically, what I like what happens is as the dad is submerged into darkness, you basically have to see her step into being like the hero, the the real hero, right? Because hitting a ball, you know, the dad tells this story, the one of my favorite moments kind of just pay, set up and pay off the movies. Like the dad tells a story about, um, you know, the day you were born. I got this surge of strength and I hit this massive home run and knocked it into the, the water or the part of the water out, out the outside of the park. And it's like a moment that's ultimately kind of selfish. It's like, it's about him. And then the mom gets to tell her side of the story and this kind of Rashomon effect of like, you know, dad tells that story. Well, what happened with me was I was by myself in a hospital surrounded by strangers. And I didn't know if I even wanted to be a mom. I didn't know if I was strong enough to kind of do this on my own. And then I saw you and I realized I wasn't alone. And there's this kind of the unsung hero or the kind of thankless job, this little human moment and how those are kind of juxtaposed. But then at the end of the movie, you basically see Carrie Condon, Eve as like the badass action hero that's like plunging into the depths of the underworld trying to save her son. And I always wanted to give her this kind of larger than life moment because you knew that she had not had that even though she had really been the hero of the family in a more real way, she had not been the kind of sports hero, you know, Greek kind of, in the Greek kind of epic hero kind of way. She hadn't had that moment. So I, I really was like, okay, I know there's going to be this reversal where she takes on the almost kind of like baseball glory level uh, hero kind of role. Um, and, and yeah, even like, you know, Izzy kind of part of Eve's arc is at the beginning, you notice, the daughter Izzy's like, mom, like you don't have to pretend like everything's okay. Basically. Like I, I know things are hard for you too. And if there's a flaw or like an arc for Eve, it's that she's like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because that's how she's had to be right. She's had mm-hmm. to kind of be like, it's fine. Because if I say everything's not fine, everything falls apart. And at the end, that, that moment with her, the daughter and the mom in the bedroom is the mom actually strength is sometimes not it is asking for help is actually having the courage to be like real with your kid because things have gotten so bad that you can't keep like the pretense of like everything's fine we're a happy family it's like things are messed up 
Mm-hmm. And like, I can tell you how hard things have been. And, but that actually puts them on the same plane as peers. And at the end of the movie, who's fighting against the evil? It's the fucking mom and the daughter. It's the two female characters that are going head to head with the dad and saving the son. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they had to almost kind of like find the strength together as peers to save this family, um, which is very much the role I've seen, you know, my mom and sisters and other women in my life kind of play. And so anyway, I just, I, I, not everyone sees that stuff, but I, I think that that is the different prisms through which we can kind of look at like uh, the pursuit of happiness, right? It's the kind of misguided pursuit of happiness. It's a character that doesn't know how to be, doesn't know how to have value, doesn't know how to like love or be loved outside of this one identity. Mm-hmm. And it's, he's just, it's, it's a tragedy in that sense. Like he just, even at the end when he's leaving that message, right. For the family, he's like, baseball has always just come easy for me. And the other stuff has been not so much. And just like, oh man, it's a guy that just didn't know he had value outside of this one stupid sport. Because what does Eve say at the baseball game? You know what baseball is, right? It's a ball and a stick and a bunch of guys in long socks. It's <laughs> dumb. It's dumb. It's it's, it's play. Uh, and, and, and everything else matters more. Um, but that's like a lesson that kind of Ray only learns at the very last second, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to see the value as family anyway that's my kind of my thesis on the thematics of, of night swim <laughs> absolutely and you know going into those family dynamics what i was curious about is you get this group of people together to play this family and again like when i'm watching night swim like i 110 percent believe that these people are family members like without a doubt their yeah. chemistry is great their dialogue yeah. it feels so real and like i'm rooting for them all the way so what my question is, is when you're a writer and a director, what role are you playing to sort of bring that chemistry to life? Or is it like, do the actors get together and do it themselves or what, or does the director step in to kind of, is it a, you know, a, a two person job in that sense? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a more than two person job and there's many uh, components to it. I would say that it starts on the script, starts in the page, uh, just trying to, you know, to try and think and behave as people behave in in a, in a family. You know, I'm a parent of two kids. Um, they're a little bit younger, but um, just trying to give the actress something good to to work with as best you can. And you're not always going to get it right. And that's where you have to listen to your your talent and be like, what feels right here? What would what would you do? What what feels right in those scenes? Someone like Carrie Condon is going to have like very good instincts, very strong opinions. She's really going to know what feels and doesn't feel right for her. And she's very sharp and, and, and you should listen to her, you know, and then it's just kind of creating space for them to also own those characters and for them to kind of ask themselves. The, I would ask myself the question when I was writing, how would these characters think, behave, speak, act, right? And then when an actor comes into those roles, they look at the text and they say, okay, now that I can see the house, I see the other actors that I'm working with, how would this character think, behave, feel, speak, act? And they, their job is to ask themselves those same questions. And then you'd have this dialogue, the dialogue between yourself, between the text and between the talent. So it's, it's sometimes messy. It's sometimes as friction, but that is the kind of the job is to, 
try and pursue the truth of those characters navigating those three kind of things that are pushing and pulling at each other. So I really try, I learned pretty early on to really trust the actors. Like we'd come and meet and talk about the scenes. And if they were like, I, this just doesn't make sense. I wouldn't have, then I would just go, I'd be rewriting those scenes the day of sometimes. Um, and sometimes you're finding it on, on the day too. You're literally like, what's, this doesn't feel right. What's going on? Like, let's try something different. I think just for any aspiring directors out there, people that are directors, whatever, I think that's the biggest um, advantage you can give yourself is just to stay as, I, I would always just say in my mind, like a mantra, because it was night swim, I would just say like flow like water. Like a water doesn't resist a boulder in its path. Does it? It can't. Water cannot, it just has to go around and move within. And, and so I, I just tried to just be as open and, and elastic as as possible and i think it's hard because you've got a thing in your mind that you've seen one way and then you got someone saying but i might I would never do that how do i do this but i think you can find like a new truth by flowing around the boulder and move um down the river you know you have to kind of just keep moving forward and not get stuck in like this mm -hmm. um so that's, yeah that, that's that's a big part of it absolutely and Again, like all the actors and the writing is just spectacular. It's a it's a family that you want to see on screen and that you want to root for. Um, and I think that, I mean, from from the beginning where we're introduced to the dad and what he's going through and how the family's responding to it, you know, I'm just invested in them. And then comes the supernatural element where it's like, you know, what what are they going to do to to get out of this? And you know, you know, yeah. you got your fingernails on the chair with because when you find out more so about what the what the pool actually embodies then it's like how do you how do you beat something like that you know that was what my yeah. thoughts were when i was yeah. in the theater well you'd have to you know the the you know there's all these like youtube videos like how, how do you beat the whatever villain how do you beat the, <laughs> the thing the thing in this is like it really it comes down to a internal place it's like to to beat to beat this thing it would require ray being like, no, I, I'm I'm okay with not getting better. Mm -hmm. I am okay with being sick. And man, that is such a, that's a hard thing to beat. It's a really hard thing to beat because it's not, it's not an external monster. If you play this frequency really loud, then it, you know, it makes the thing, it's not, it's not as simple as an external mechanic. It, it is like literally like you'd have to not, need the thing that it is offering you so it's this kind of internal temptation which always was really interesting to me and it's also you get the sense that that ray is being Wyatt russell's character is being like shined also right you get this that he's being seduced mm -hmm. it's it's like that you're giving a little taste of the drug and he's like i'm I, up at three in the morning pounding out laps and being like whoa like i feel strong you can just feel the kind of adrenaline rush of like I didn't think I'd ever be able to do this again. And I'm doing it like, just like, I'm never, I'm stronger than I ever, like putting those weights up in the garage. You're like, that must feel like crack to that guy. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and so you, so you also, and he's getting a little, like one of my favorite moments from Wyatt, the whole movie <laughs> is in the doctor's office. They get the kind of like positive update from the doctor. And he's like, twice a day, we have a pool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His, we have a pool line like it's so perfect because it's it's supposed to be funny but it's also 
unnerving and kind of sinister and like why it was just so great that dude is was so great to work with he just he knows how to give the audience that that feeling that moment he's not afraid to put himself out there to go crazy to do stupid stuff like he's really just like i know what this moment i'm creating for the audience is like <laughs> coming in the right, yeah, in the third act like crazy vibe rips the daughter's hair off she slams against the wall she runs that thing he's like marco <laughs> like i just yes. love how the like, he plays the absurdity uh so well it just it's fun like it just why it's just the best he's so great yeah why it has to go through quite a few character developments throughout the film he's got to be the somber one and the sad one he's got to be the hard-working dad and then he's got to yep. be the you know the over-the-top villain at one point yeah 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 um, he and knew he could go i was so excited about him because i knew he could go like i'd seen his black mirror episode i'd seen i knew he could go like to like the jack torrance full you know full loco mode <laughs> but i i then i had a i had a meeting with him and i found out that like well number one he's a very thoughtful he's funny but he's kind of serious he's like a pretty like thoughtful intelligent guy and he had played professional hockey as you probably know so he had come in and gotten injured he had to like let go of that career and find his whole identity and as soon as i understood how much he related to the the human element and the psychology of that I was like, well, then I know he's got the the drama because he's lived that. And he's also a really good dramatic actor too. So I, and he's like, he's funny. He's likable. He's like a golden boy. You know, he just felt like a golden boy baseball player. Yeah. I don't know. He just felt so <laughs> from the first time I met him, I was like, Oh, it's just, he's, he's so perfect for this. Absolutely. Um, and he was. Yeah. Well, job well done to all of the cast. Absolutely. As well as yeah. the writing that you gave them. I thought it was phenomenal. And speaking of the writing, you know, a few more questions to throw at you. Um, yeah. We so one of the things I love about the world of Night Swim now is that people have like two companion pieces. They have the 2014 short and they have the feature film and they're such different entities yeah. while being in the same universe that people can go and have two separate experiences watching one or the other. You know, yeah. one's more ambiguous, like you said. It's just, here's the pool. It's scary, but it's all about atmosphere and that mystery. Then there's one where you can find out more, but again, it's it's different characters and it's a different way to tell the story. Do you have, you know, going forward with your with your future work, especially, do you have a type of horror that you prefer when it comes to ambiguity? Because you look at something like A24 films where they are a little more yeah. um, ambiguous. Sometimes they don't give you any answer. Sometimes they give you a few. And then there's other films that explain everything. Do you have a preference between the types of horror, between levels of ambiguity? I do. I mean, my taste is going to be more ambiguity. Um, you know, when you're making a studio film with Blumhouse and Atomic and, and Universal, and it's, it's a movie meant for a wide audience, um, you know, there's more of an expectation and, and a bit more pressure to to answer more questions, um, which is all, which is okay too. It, 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 answers are satisfying, that, that can be rewarding in its own way. But my taste is to answer your question very directly. My, my taste is probably more like The Shining where there's a lot to chew on, a lot of threads to wonder at and, and clues, but you're just not getting the whole thing spelled out. I I, I actually tend to <laughs> people hearing this who 
saw Night Swim and didn't like Night Swim, I'd be like, oh, really? But the truth is, I'd actually prefer to not have the exposition dump scene. I prefer to know some answers. It's just, it's kind of a matter of you're making a movie in a certain system and, and, and it's kind of, it's a bit more like a part of how those movies are made, which is totally fine too, because I think they both have merit. Um, but my, my taste probably a little bit more uh, pl playing the cards close to the vest. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I can say this about um, the scene where you do get the explanation. Um, the character that tells that story and the transformation that they go through yes. was a movie was a, a part of the movie that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like yeah. I came home and the imagery that you put into the explanation scene yes. just made it like incredibly scary to me. Good. Uh, See, that, that was the that was kind of like if I have to do this and kind of spell this all out. I really wanted to have fun with it and and give it to a great character actor and create the just the the, the you know the air tank and co the coughing growing and like even just the idea of I mean I do I did like how that turned out just the idea of like someone that's like denying the existence of one of their children it's like well okay like that, that's pretty like it's pretty dark like psychological mm -hmm. pretty out there and I I I was like if I'm gonna do this I I just want to really go all the way from it. And she's like her face at the end, just like trapped in this, because she's in a way like she's damned by the choice she's made, right? It's like, mm -hmm. she once she, you know, it's kind of like once she like made that Faustian bargain, it, it's still with her. The water touched her and it touched her, you know, it, she touched the water and it touched her back. And you can tell like, she's a part of, she's a part of it now. We never explain why, but you also kind of go like, oh wait, like if Ray gets this gift, he may be, may have the greatest comeback story, baseball comeback story at all time. But at night in the locker room, when everyone else is cleared out, he's going to be <clears throat> and looking down at this black stuff. And you know what I'm saying? It, yep. it's, it lives with you, right? And so I, I, that was, some people have been kind of like, oh, what's this rule? I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it, it's that you want to imagine that happening to Ray if he were to go through with this, that like, it's not as clean of a deal as you thought it was. Like, yeah, it, our sins, our sacrifices stick with us. They don't just go away. It's not that simple. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to the communication message of like, it's, it's takes strength to admit when things aren't okay. And because yeah. what I see with, with um, Wyatt in the scene where he's talking to the doctor about his recovery, it's like, She's like, I've never seen anything like this. You know, what's going on? And she's kind of concerned almost at how much yeah. of a yeah. of a of progress he's made. And he's like, but I'm better. Isn't that great? Yeah. You know, and doesn't see anything wrong with it. Exactly. And Eve, you can see Eve kind of like has this wariness, like, I I I want to, I I mean, it's positive. It's it's everything you'd ever hope for, but it's it it comes with this kind of wariness of like, can this is it trustable? Is it real? Is it yeah, but he's just like, I don't care. No consequences. I I just, I just want this thing so badly. I'm willing to block out all of the red flags and the warning signs. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a very good observation. It's exactly it. Which I think people will do when they're trying to, you know, grasp at straws to to feel better. You know, they'll be like, no, it's okay. Like everything's gonna be fine. You know. Yeah. Um. So I, I think there's a lot of layers and messages to take away from Night Swim. So obviously, if you're listening to this, people, I highly encourage you to go watch it and and create your interpretation of it as well 
Um, so thank you for explaining all that, Bryce. I really appreciate it. And, you know, uh, a few more things before we wrap it up. Um, you know, you've got James Wan as a producer. Did you get to work with him? And how was that? I did. And it was absolutely incredible. James is such a, number one, just like such a sweet guy and, and so excited about making movies. So excited about scaring people. <laughs> it's so, it's infectious. Um, you know, I would come over to his house with storyboards and pitch him through Marco Polo and he'd be like, oh, oh what if you did this? The camera goes underwater and, it, and he'd like have these ideas and pitch back. But he was on set for like, um, you know, the main uh, set pieces like the cold open uh, where Rebecca's taken, uh, Marco Polo, uh, diving for quarters, day, daytime. Always, I wanted a good daytime horror um, scene because I, I love, I love daytime, daytime scares. So he was very involved. Like he was, he loves Night Swim. He was, he, he loved it from, the, I mean, it happened because of him. He was the one that saw the short film. And I've told the story before, but he was swimming in his pool at night doing laps and did the like, look left, look right, look left. And he thought he saw like the kind of shadow figure from the short film standing at the edge of the pool. And like, it freaked him out <laughs> from that moment. It was like, you scared James Wan. I mean, he can't, it doesn't get better than that. But from that moment, um, it was like, uh, you know, he's like, I got to make this movie. I got to make this movie. Um, so he was, I learned so much from him. Uh, just the way he thinks about scares, even just like some simple technique stuff. I mean, I think I'm allowed to share this, but I, I think about this all the time. James was like one of the most practical lessons. So there's a lot of horror filmmakers, I'm assuming, probably listen to those people that make their own short films or inspiring horror directors. Um James would say, you know, basically if you get in a situation where like the shot list gets thrown out the window because you're you're really behind in time, you could always come back to the three Ps. And I was like, what's the three Ps? You got what is this magic? What is this dark <laughs> magic? And it was like for him, it's the the three Ps are uh push, pull, and POV. Um, so you're, you know, you're uh, you're pushing an actor, it's kind of like going like behind, you're pulling them, and then you're them, you're their POV. And he likes to put the camera right behind someone's shoulder where it makes the audience feel like they're the scared best friend. That's how he thinks about it. And I was like, that's so brilliant. That's so, <laughs> so simple. But he's like, if you just go push, pull, POV, you will at least, because the most important thing for James is not, even though he does some very fancy camera language and does bust crazy moves and he's very technically gifted the thing he cares about the most is how do i put the audience inside the head of this character in this moment and so in that sense i push i'm behind them i pull i lead them out and pov i am them i'm like yeah that gives you all the information that you need to um and i like the thing i would add to that is like i love the ominous wide shot where you're like, where is it going to come? Like, where is something hiding? You know, where yep. is it? And, and, and James does too, to, to, for, you know, too. I, I, I would just add like push, pull, POV, and then just make sure you get a really good uh, master shot with lots of places that if it was Flanagan, you'd literally have five ghosts. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that though, because that's a, that's a great, that's a great thing. If you, if you catch like insidious does this very well and james does this too if you catch one of those ghosts that you felt 
you were not supposed to catch, it's over because you're going to look at every single corner, every single shadow, every single uh, coat rack in the background will now come to life and actually mm-hmm. be animated and will all, they'll all be ghosts in your mind and you're, you'll be on edge watching the whole movie if you if you see that one uh, that one that you weren't supposed to catch but you did you're like oh no they could be anywhere now that's just that's such a beautiful <laughs> feeling and a love and horror Flanagan does that Juan does that um, we had a couple moments of doing that as, as well but it was yeah I love that technique that's beautiful and that's so great to hear too because I feel like they're you see out there like oh these producers will just put out whatever and that's I think it's important to hear from a director like you that like no they're the producers care you know they're not just slapping pitch meetings and dollar signs they're actually like involved and especially someone like James Wan who has so much love for the genre working with another person like yourself who has so much love for the genre it's just going to create that much better of a of an experience for a horror fan yeah he's one of the he's definitely one of the good ones he's one of the the really hands-on that he cares so much and came and did a week with us in the edit like he was there and uh i don't know if i'm supposed to speak about that or not but um <laughs> yeah whatever yeah he was he was involved and there were there was stuff that we uh, unfortunately did not get a chance to shoot that uh that he was really involved in that too and like i was just, like shooting video storyboards for stuff but um yeah that we there was two strikes going on at the time so uh you know typically these movies have additional photography i mean almost all these movies have some level of additional photography and uh just was the the timing of this that we just didn't didn't weren't able to to do that which is always like oh i can just see that next but you know it is what it is it's just the things you can't control i gotta go with flow like water right absolutely well i think uh it's safe to say that there's plenty more to come from you which leads into my last question uh so you'll have plenty of chances to to surprise us in the future. Uh, but what's what's next for you? Uh, you know, I've seen some comments online that maybe there's an idea for more in the Night Swim universe, or do you see yourself going to uh, a new original project for you? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's certainly more story to tell. And I think if, I mean, we've done good business, but I think if either we had made a lot more money or had made the money we've made and had better reviews, I think we would have gotten to do that and now kind of don't know. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting though, this type of thing where like sometimes in like uh, Blu-ray and, and VOD and rentals, like it takes on a life of its own and that can happen where suddenly like, oh wait, there actually is this, there is this kind of audience there that wants to see more from this. I certainly have the idea I'd like uh, I'd like to to set it in, which would actually be in the past to be a prequel. Um, and it would be set at the uh, the pool tech references. There used to be health spas and wellness centers and these. And so I would have this whole kind of whole concept for a, a story that's set at this kind of like mid-century, like 1960s, like wellness center with the water therapy and the big pool and the steam rooms and the deprivation tanks and so you have all these different sets micro set pieces of different environments so it's not just the pool again it's like you have all these different kind of the world expands and there's more characters there and it's almost a bit of like a uh agatha christie thing where all these different characters come to this place for different reasons and 
different backgrounds and different things they're trying to get healing for. And it almost has this kind of murder mystery kind of quality to it, but supernatural. And it's, uh, has some, some ghosts and things we haven't seen before. I don't know if I'll ever get to make that or not, but I definitely have the, uh, the, the idea if, if I, if I do someday, but um, sure. what I am doing a few different things. Um, I have a short film called every house is haunted, which uh, premiered at South by Southwest last year and played Fantasia and a lot of other great festivals. Um, that I'm now expanding that into a feature and that actually comes out online uh, on short of the week that web, that uh, website mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of weeks, pretty soon. So people that are, if, if you're, if you're following me on Instagram or whatever, um, I'm at Bryce James McGuire or at Bryce J McGuire. Uh, I'll post updates about that, but yeah, I have a short film coming out. That's going to be expanded to a feature. Um, that's probably what I'll do next. Um, I also have the thing with, with fear for Amiga, the bad, bad bloom. That's a little bit bigger budget. So I'm, I'm feeling like I want to go small and weird next where I have much more control mm-hmm. and it's a smaller budget. And it can just like, I don't, I don't have to play by any one else's rules. I can just like go ham and, and make my kind of like statement piece and then probably like level up into something. Uh, maybe that, that thing with Vera, cause I really do want to make that with her. Um, but yeah, every house is haunted coming out online soon and, uh, more, more things brewing that, um, hopefully will come to fruition, uh, in the, in the future. Fantastic. Well, I cannot wait. And, uh, again, Bryce, thanks for taking time to speak with me tonight. And again, I want to, you know, coming from my perspective, um, this, you know, I'm a fan of Blumhouse, so I'm excited to see anything they do, but this one really, you know, I saw it early on in the year. This one really like struck a nerve with me, with the family dynamics and just the the many, many layers and messages to take away from the film. So yeah. from from us at Midnight Terrors Podcast, we just want to thank you for your love for the genre and for really showing that in the film. And it's one that I really enjoy. We'll be revisiting a ton. And uh, I definitely want to encourage our listeners to uh, to do the same. So thank you for all your work, Bryce. I definitely appreciate it. Well, Kevin, that's, you're so sweet, and I really appreciate the the thoughtful, thoughtful questions and the the attentive watch. And yeah, I like anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the movie. Uh, I just I like watch it for yourself. You know, maybe you hate it. Maybe you're like, whoa, what? Like, and it surprises you. But I I think in general, make up your own mind, have your own opinion, and check anything out uh, for yourself because you don't have to think what everyone else thinks. You have your own your mind, your taste and opinions and uh, use those. And that'll, that'll guide you to the right place. Absolutely. And uh, you know, <clears throat> hopefully we'll get to meet in person one day and talk some more, uh, maybe at a horror convention. Is that something you might want to do in the future is go to conventions and talk to people? Yeah. I, you know, I am going, I, I'm a guest at some, uh, uh, what is it? It's in, it's in Portland. It's some weird fiction I have to find out what this is, but I, I I got invited to my first thing and I was like, oh yeah, heck yeah. That sounds so fun. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so always, always a fan. I did, I did Comic-Con promoting nights from New York Comic-Con this past year and had an absolute blast. I was there with uh, Emma Tammy who did Five Nights at Freddy's and with Jason. Mm. And we had a, we had such a blast. Uh, it's so cool. Just talking to all the Blumhouse fans and horror fans. And um, yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's good people. They, they may not like me right now, but I like them and, and I'm going to keep making more stuff. So you can't get rid of me that easy. Absolutely. 
Well, one thing that we're trying to work towards as a podcast is movie screenings mixed with Q and A's, kind of like how David Gordon Green and uh, yeah. Danny McBride have done. So maybe one of these days we can put together something in the middle with a night swim screening where we can host a Q and A with you. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be so cool, man. Let me let me let me know. Like, let's figure something out. We're not that far away. That'd be a blast. Not, not at all. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's all I got. Um, Bryce, real quick, where can people uh, keep in touch with you and see what's uh, when your next projects will be coming out and um, where can people find Night Swim if they want to give it a watch? Yeah, Night Swim is still in theaters right now. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out, but if it's coming out in the next week or so, uh, Night Swim is probably still in theaters. Uh, Night Swim is also available everywhere that you rent movies or buy movies, uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, all the places, Vivo, whatever. It's out there, um, you know. Don't torrent it if you have a heart. You know, a lot of people worked really hard on this movie, so I, I, I'm very anti-pirating. Uh, you know, to the four ninety nine, it, it it's worth it, um, and you know, it, it keeps people uh, afloat in this kind of wild industry. Um, but yeah, you can watch it anywhere. And then I am uh, I'm mainly on. I have a, a a Twitter X, but I'm not on as much anymore. Instagram is the main place where I'm active and posting stuff and you can watch, you know, behind the scenes stuff for nights, women, whatever on my, on my reels. Um, and that is uh, Bryce B R Y C E J McGuire, M C G U I R E Bryce J McGuire on Insta. Excellent. Well, you heard it here first people go check out night swim. It is absolutely worth your time and go follow Bryce and give him all the support. Cause he's a great person doing a lot of great things for the genre and we definitely want to give him as much support as we can because we're big fans here at Midnight Terrors and we can't wait to see more. So, Bryce, thanks so much for joining me, my friend. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and again, thank you for all your incredible work. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, long live Midnight Terrors. See you on the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. But everybody, right. that's it for the Midnight Terrors podcast. Get in touch with us on our socials, Midnight Terrors podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Shoot us an email at Midnight Terrors podcast at Gmail. You can check out our T Public store for merch, and you can join our Facebook group under Midnight Terrors Podcast. <laughs> yes, so glad we have the video component there. Uh, so again, oh, thank. <laughs> Absolutely, that's perfect. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you all again very soon. Peace. <laughs>